0: but it's not only the burnt animal sacrifices that God enjoys. It's also the grain and vegetable sacrifices that God enjoys. In Leviticus 2, he goes into it again and he says, it, when they sacrifice the grains, it's a sweet smell that is pleasing to our God. I imagine it kind of like the smell of cake when you're, when you're making, when I burn cake, uh, when you're making a cake. So when Carrie bakes, The smell of the grains make a smell that fills the house. One translation puts it this way. It is a sweet savor to the Lord. God is a fan of scent. Of course, what pleased God wasn't necessarily the smell of things being barbecued, sacrificed, sent to him. It wasn't just what was being sacrificed, but it was the heart behind it. It was combined with what was being sacrificed was the person's life. As in the case of Noah's offering, what pleased the Lord was the commitment to offer what was valuable to God. Think of it. He'd been on the ark. Everything's destroyed. And Noah gets off the ark and sacrifices. There's not much left and he sacrifices to God. So there was a commitment, something that was valuable, and it gave a pleasing aroma to God. In Leviticus, when you look at it, God is always saying that such and such is satisfying based on the heart that's behind the sacrifice. When it's in the right place, when it's done for the right motive, when it's done for the right reasons and the right ways, then God is pleased, it smells good, But, like we know in life, there are things that smell good, like cakes and barbecues and frankincense and whatever else you guys decided of grass and Cinnabons. But there's also things that smell terrible. Green Lake in the summertime, when the fish start to float, smells awful. My gym bag smells terrible. There are things, I can ask the same question, what are things that you think smell terrible? And there's universal things that smell bad. There are things in Scripture that smell bad. There are things in our lives that when we smell them, they bring up some things that might hurt. Places where when you smell it, you're instantly drawn back to the place of pain. That night had a particular smell to it. And every time that you walk in and you smell something similar, you're brought back to that place, to that person to that thing that smelled the particular way and you don't like it. The smell of burning leaves might smell good to those who have happy memories around campfires, but to those who have lost homes in wildfires, the smell of burning leaves and burning wood induces panic and fear. I don't like the smell of hospitals just because what hospitals have been lately I don't like that smell. There are smells that bring us back to painful places. There are smells in Scripture that are pleasing to God. And there are smells in Scripture that absolutely repulse God. In the book of Amos, In chapter 5, he says this about sacrifices. It says this, I hate, I despise. And in Hebrew poetry, which is a lot of what Amos is writing, it's you hate, which is one word, and then you despise, which is hate times 10. So God says, I hate. No, I despise your religious festivals. He continues, your assemblies are a stench to me the sacrifices that were being made. The sacrifices that were done by those people were not done in the right way. They weren't done in the right form. The hearts of those people were corrupted. And so when he smells them, it's a stench. It smells terrible. And in verse 7, it goes in in the same chapter, tells us why it not like that. Those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Their hearts were turned in that direction and it made everything that they did smell awful. They might have followed the rules. They were bringing the right kind of sacrifice in, but yet their hearts turned towards justice and mocked it. And because of that, their sacrifice was worthless. It was a stench. It was Green Lake in the summertime. It was awful. It was my gym bag. Not only does the heart of that person affect the smell of their sacrifice, what they're worshiping affects the smell of sacrifice. In Ezekiel chapter six, there's a verse. It'll be on the screen for us. Wherever you live in the towns, Uh, will be laid waste and the high places demolished so that your altars will be laid waste and devastated. Your idols smashed and ruined, your incense altars broken down and what you have made wiped out. Ezekiel is talking, he's writing this and he's charging the people of Israel with worshiping and doing everything that they can but worshiping the wrong object. They're worshiping idols as if they were God himself. And it smells to him. It's a stench to him. And so in Ezekiel 6, he says, I'm going to wipe those altars out. You will no longer be made to worship on them because you are worshiping them as if they were me. All of us worship something. Like our sense of smell, we might not realize what we're worshiping. But all of us worship will worship something. Many will worship families. And at the cost of worshiping their families, which seems like a good thing, right? But we put our families so high and we spend all the time and everything with them and we worship them as if they were our God and we forget about the broken world around us. Some of us will worship our appetites. We'll feed ourselves and give ourselves no no room to ever say no And then we're plagued with addictions. Some of us will worship our jobs. And we think our jobs are good because we're supplying for our families. We're able to be generous and we worship our work so much. But then we realize that we have no relationships outside of our work. We're working ourselves to death. We're worshiping other gods. And though they might look good, though they might seem good, they are not what is to be worshipped. And Ezekiel 6 shows us that God says he will smash those altars. Though we think they are well-intentioned, they offer to him a stench, and he doesn't want it. Regardless of what we think, we are caught worshipping something in our lives. And that something raises a scent to our God. It raises a smell to him. Either it's pleasing or it's not. And so in Matthew chapter 2, these three men walk into the home in Egypt. And they bring something that smells delightful to Jesus. And they offer us a little glimpse of what it means to worship correctly, what it means to to worship right. And it's four things, and I'll just list them. It could be a whole nother sermon series, but I'll just list the what they bring. They show us four parts of acceptable worship. The first is their worship is directed to the proper object. They come, they kneel before Christ. It's Christ who they're worshiping. The second is their worship is in the right form. It's a sacrifice. It's something that costs them. Myrrh and frankincense were valuable oils. Gold has always been valuable. It's getting more and more valuable. And They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. King David says that he will not sacrifice anything that doesn't cost him something. They bring something that costs them. It's in the right posture. They come, they obey. They got the sign to be there. They obey, they went, they traveled all that way. And it's in the right posture. They kneel down before Christ. And then it has the right result. Herod was after Jesus because he didn't like the threat to his kingdom. And so when the Magi come to see him, remember he says, tell me where this king is being born so I might go worship him. Really, he wanted to kill him. Herod had done a good job exterminating most of the boys in his area. The magi catch on to this, and their worship leaves them changed. They're transformed. In an act of civil disobedience, their worship tells them to tell the king or not tell the king where Jesus is. And so their worship leaves them changed. And it shows us something about proper worship. The best stuff, the stuff that smells good, the stuff that is pleasing to our God is the stuff that leaves our lives smelling more and more like the object that we worship. The more and more we worship Jesus, the more and more we should start smelling like Jesus. In this way, our worship and their sacrifice in the Old Testament show us that the heart behind proper worship always leads us to Jesus. It always leads us back home to the person that we're supposed to be worshiping. I had a dog uh, when I was growing up. His name was Jag, J-A-G. My brother named it. My brother is terrible at naming things. Uh, We had a cat I don't like cats, but we had two of them. He named one cat Janet Jackson. I don't know why. That cat was awfully mean. Um, but Janet Jackson was the cat. My brother's bad at naming things. Uh, and so we he named this dog Jag. Everyone thought it was Jack, but it was Jag, J-A-G. Uh, my And then my brother went to college, and we're here with a horribly named dog. And so Jag was a rad dog, though. We lived across the street from a park. And we'd go to the park, and we'd play, and it, you're supposed to keep the dog on the leash, but we broke the rules. Uh, and so Dad would take the Jag off the leash and let him run around, chase ducks, do whatever you got to do. You're a lab, go jump in the water, have a good time. And then when we were ready to go, Dad would just say to Jag, hey, Jag, let's go home. And Jag would perk up, and he'd finish doing what he was doing to the tree, and then he'd, he'd start running home. He would pick up the smell somewhere, and he would, we wouldn't have to direct him. We wouldn't have to tell him where to go. It didn't matter what park we were in, how far we are away. If we walk there, Jag can find his way home. The sense of smell brought him back to where it all began. It's sort of like when we worship Christ. It brings us back to where it all begins. Christ is where we begin our worship. We smell like him when we worship him. If we don't, we start to smell like other things. And this aroma of Christ is what Paul is getting at in that Corinthians passage. Paul talks about the aroma of things pleasing to God in Corinthians and Ephesians and, and Philippians. It seems like Paul had an extra sensitive uh, sense of smell. But Paul talks about this aroma this fragrance, how we smell things, how we smell like things. In junior high, I was at camp, and my junior high pastor comes to me, and, and he sits down next to me, his name was Hatch. Uh, it was his last name, so we called him Hatch. His childrens were called Hatchlings. Um, seriously, it was, it was very punny. Uh, but we, he sat down next to me, and he first told me, Brad, this is what you smell like, junior high that's when we start to smell as guys and we don't really realize it. There's a special place for junior high pastors that have to have that conversation with their boys and junior high teachers and I don't know how you do it. I'm not looking forward to having that conversation with Judah. It's going to stink. There's another one. But he sat with me and he told me this is what you smell like. He had me smell like a tree and then he had me smell down my shirt and I was like oh yeah, I smell. And he walked me to the general store that day and bought me my first stick of Guard, and everything changed. We smell like things. Your body has a smell to it. And for Paul, he's pointing to this picture that we smell like Christ. We are the pleasing aroma of Jesus to people. But he uses this... uh, illustration in second corinthians he says in verse 14 of chapter 2 thanks be to god who always leads us as captives in christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere for we are a pleasing aroma amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing Paul liked to use modern day illustrations in his writings. And if we look behind of what Paul was writing about, we can start to understand a little bit more of what he's talking about, about this triumphal procession in his time, it would have been the General Hannibal, who just had this amazing military campaign. And he gets back to Rome. And whenever these generals did something great and took over things, they would have a party. They won the championship, so to speak. Sort of what happened last week with the Sounders winning. And then they have this parade that goes through town with the trophy. A few years ago, it was the Seahawks. And it seemed like everybody went I wasn't in town yet, but I wouldn't have gone. Uh, But everybody goes, and it's this big parade. Look, we are triumphant. We win. We won. Here's the trophy. This is what the generals were doing. There was a specific order that went with these triumphal processions. It was a way of bragging. This is how good we are. The general would come through with these beautiful horses and he would be raised up and there'd be flowers draped from wherever he is and you would smell these flowers as they went by. Then there would be these soldiers that come in after them and they would be parading through town as heroes. Look what we have done. Then there would be all the loot that they would have gotten, all the treasures that they would have gotten from from raiding these towns, followed by that would be somewhere in the mix these white bulls, these perfect animals that they would take and sacrifice on Jupiter's altar and they would be in the mix. Then they would have the slaves, usually the captive army behind them, these would be sold and auctioned, and then the money would go to whoever captured these slaves or they would keep the slaves for themselves as military people. At the end of the parade, the, the soldiers would get paid their salary for the entire parade, for the entire military expenditure. They would get all of their money at the end of the parade. At the last bit of the, of, the, of the processional was the captured general. Usually he was being dragged behind some kind of horse, handcuffed or, or tied, usually naked. And then there would be the captured armies with them. This was the exhibit. They were, on ex, they were being exhibited for all to see in their shame. Then they would be put to death. Uh, usually having to fight some weird animal in the Colosseum. This was a triumphal procession. It was a figure or a picture of how much that they have conquered and how great Rome is. But people knew what triumph smelled like. The flowers, the garland, all the incense burning on the altars of every single temple. The smell would be diffused all the way through the town. They knew what it smelled like. And if you were a Roman citizen, you walk out that day, and you smell, and you go, Oh, it smells like victory. We win. There's a smell in the air, kind of like the smell of someone burning wood in their in their fireplace. I smell it, I know that smell. This is a smell of triumph. This is a smell of victory. Paul says if you know what you're smelling, it's victory. Or if you're one of those being dragged at the end of the parade, it's the smell of defeat. This is what it smells like to lose. So Paul says, we are in a triumphal procession of Christ being paraded through the earth and we know what his victory smells like. We pick up the smell of Jesus to people around us. We are the aroma of Christ. And to those of us who are hurting, we smell like life. To those of us who need hope, we smell like hope. To those of us who need peace, we smell like peace. To those of us who have these aches and pains that tend to show up around this time of year, we smell like wholeness. Paul is saying that we smell like Jesus. We smell like victory over death. But it doesn't just stop there. It goes further than just life after death. We smell like peace. We smell like patience. We smell like love. We smell like acceptance. We start to smell like Jesus to a world that is so used to smelling death and destruction and Green Lake in the summertime, to a world that's used to smelling of things like racism, things like hatred, and bigotry, We smell like the opposite. And Paul is saying our lives are being processed through the entire world. And we have a smell or we should have a smell to us of hope. Of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. To those who recognize it and to those who need it, it's a source of comfort. To those who are put off by it it's a source of death and paul is saying smell like jesus we become the victory smell of our god to other people and so there's the aroma that is past pleasing to god there is the aroma of christ to others and there's the aroma that we give off when we worship there's this part in in uh, the book of john where this woman is, is, is breaking oil over Jesus' feet. And it's a valuable jar. And she comes to Jesus and she breaks this alabaster jar over her feet. Matthew goes into more detail of what kind of jar it was. Alabaster jars were big on the bottom and then they had this long, awkward neck. You can put things in it very easily, but it was very hard to empty things out. So Matthew goes into more detail in Matthew 26 and he says that this jar was broken in order to release what was called pure nard all over Jesus' feet of ridiculously expensive perfume. And we look at that story and we think, great, she emptied all this out. But what was interesting about it was this jar. It had to be broken in order for what was inside of it to be released. And many times we go through life and we're like these alabaster jars. We have this good stuff inside of us. But then we start pouring on top of us these things that keep the smell of the alabaster jar under control. We throw on things like pride. We throw on things like arrogance. We throw on things like fear and shame. And what they do is they clog that big long neck that keeps what we should really be smelling like inside And like this woman who took this jar and broke it off and started pouring out, many times in order for us to smell like what we're supposed to smell like, we need to start in a broken place. We need to be a vessel that is broken. We need to be a vessel that is broken so what's good can come out. The good news is that brokenness doesn't always leave you broken. Brokenness is always the beginning of something. For many of us, we need to be broken of some things so we can start smelling like what we need to smell like. Have you ever noticed that when you go someplace for a long time, say you go to a coffee shop and you sit there for hours and you're doing work, Uh, you come home. I I notice this. I I work in coffee shops on one day a week. And so I notice when I come home, I take off my coat and I hang it up when I'm good. And I, I hang it up where it's supposed to go. And it smells like a coffee shop. I could tell I've been there. I could tell I've been at Ballard Coffee Works all day. I smell like a coffee place. And then in the morning time, I go to put on my coat again, and sometimes it still smells like coffee. You smell like what you're around. And when we're broken, usually we're broken, we find ourselves at the feet of Christ, and we begin to smell like him. Why? Because we're broken. And we need to be around him to be healed. Many times we're broken and we go to the wrong place in order to feel whole again. We go into other appetites. We go around things that start to smell differently and we come away smelling differently than Christ. Many of us need to run to the place of our brokenness and find ourselves at the feet of Jesus so that we can smell like him to the world around us. We all smell. You smell. You stink. And I hope that as a community, we can start smelling like Jesus to the world around us. I hope that as a community, we can smell like peace to people who need it. We can smell like home to the people who don't feel welcome places. I hope that you smell today. I hope that when you walk into your place of work, people notice you and go, there's something, something stinks of that person and it smells good. I hope you pass the sniff test of people's lives. The Magi offered perfume and they walked away changed. Today, when we worship, when you worship God with your life, I hope people around you walk away different because of it. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the smells of our lives. We thank you for this sense of smell. And Lord, may we smell like life to the world around us. May we, as Paul says in Ephesians, uh, walk in the way of love just as Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May we walk in the way that smells good to the world around us. May we smell inviting. May we smell like hope to a world which needs it. We thank you that you are the fragrant sacrifice that pleases God. We thank you that through you we can please God, that we can't do it on our own. It is only through your sacrifice. And may we smell good. In Jesus' name.